The reading today is from Acts chapter 4, verses 1 to 10. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put him in jail until the next day. Many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there. So were Cephas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you are all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Very nice to see you. Let's pray that God would have something for every one of us this morning. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your presence with us now. And you see right into our hearts. You know us, each and every one of us, really well. And our heart cry to you, Lord, is come and make a difference to us. Come and speak into our lives. Holy Spirit, have your way amongst us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to start in a rather unusual way by confessing to you, as I've already confessed to the Holy Spirit, that I overlooked Pentecost last weekend. When I looked in my diary, I somehow got focused on the fact that it was a half-term weekend and people would be out of London and all that kind of thing. And it's a massive error to leave out or overlook the Holy Spirit. So I've apologized to him, I've apologized to you, and we're going to make up for it big time today by praying with all our hearts, come Holy Spirit. And it happens that we're going through a little series on sharing our faith. And the reason we're doing this series is because certainly amongst most of the people of St. Michael's, we all agree that sharing our faith is a must-do activity, that Jesus asks us to do it. No one ever puts their hand up if you ask, is sharing our faith a good idea? No one ever says, no, no, terrible idea, because we know we're meant to be up to it. But we also know that we struggle, all of us. And so this little mini-series is preached in the hope and expectation that God will give us increasing confidence as we try and share our faith. So one week, I talked about the power that's in the message itself. Last week, Sam talked about the power of testimony. And today, how appropriate that I'm talking about the help the Holy Spirit gives us when we want to share our faith. And I'm going to begin with a story. And it's a story of a very distinguished professor of medicine. Now, he was known to work incredibly hard and so he worked his research team incredibly hard. 
and actually he often failed to acknowledge the research that they did and the contribution to his papers whenever he gave his addresses. But he made a name for himself and he failed to thank the backup team for their work. As his fame grew, so his financial backing grew. So now he has not just one research team, but a whole squad of them. And he finds himself increasingly in demand to give lectures, not just in this country, but in overseas as well. So the workload goes up and up and up. And he relies increasingly on his faithful secretary, who he never thanks either. And his dependence on her grew and grew and grew. And all the while, he never thanked her. She stayed later and later and later, and lectures got longer and longer and longer. And he would pop in early in the morning, pick up the lecture he was to give that day. And it went on week after week, month after month. And the glamour wore off, and his team got fed up, and his secretary was really cheesed off, and she had an idea. And so it was that when addressing an international symposium of distinguished scientists in Stockholm, about two minutes into his address, he read out from the script, I will now explain this hypothesis in six clear stages, at which point he turned over to the next page and the typing stopped. And there was a handwritten note from his secretary which simply said, you're on your own now. You're on your own now. And I think that sometimes we think that when we're trying to share our faith, we're on our own now. And my first point this morning is you're never on your own. You're never on your own when we share our faith because the Holy Spirit walks with us. You and I will never share the gospel unassisted. So look at this passage in Acts 4. I mean, a very, very, very brief summary. Peter and John have been hauled before the Sanhedrin precisely because they are being called to account for the work of healing a man who had been begging. And you would have thought that they had every reason to say stum because they're up against the people who have just issued a death order on Jesus. It, it must have been so, so intimidating you would have thought they would have been silent, but they're not. They refuse not to talk about Jesus. How come? Well, we're told actually in Scripture how come. They have Holy Spirit boldness. This is a promise fulfilled. Jesus said to them, it's recorded in Luke chapter 12, when they drag you into their meeting places or into police courts and before judges, don't worry about defending yourselves, what you'll say or how you'll say it. The right words will be given to you. The Holy Spirit will give you the right words when the time comes. Now that would be a significant promise on its own, but it's not the only time that Jesus says the Holy Spirit will equip you to talk about me. We all know that at the end of the Gospels, at the end of Matthew's Gospel, the Great Commission is given to the disciples, isn't it? Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, etc., etc. But we often overlook that in Luke's account, just before, just having called them witnesses, he tells them to do something important before they go and bear witness. He tells them to wait 
wait for the Holy Spirit. That's in Luke chapter 24. He says this. After Jesus had opened their minds to the scriptures, he said, you're witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised. That's the Holy Spirit. But stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. How interesting. Before you go out, says Jesus, stay still. Why? Because you need the help of the Holy Spirit. And most articulately and obviously in Acts 1 verse 8, we're told when Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you to do what? To be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit makes all the difference. And we're going to need his help. Why? Because frankly, the reception you get to the message might well be hostile on occasion. Sometimes it goes wonderfully well, and other times it feels like it would be easier to put a filling in the tooth of a crocodile than to share your faith. And Paul knew this same exasperation and this same experience. He wrote to the Corinthians, we are to God the aroma of Christ amongst those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one with the smell of death, to the other the fragrance of life. Who's equal to such a task? And the answer is, people filled with the Spirit are equal to such a task. God's marching orders to us carry more weight than any regime's silencing orders. Where the Spirit flows, evangelism follows. It's as simple as that. Any outpouring of the Holy Spirit always, always is followed up with a harvest of souls. So it makes sense. If we want to see more of this city turn to Christ, and why wouldn't we? Has the need ever been more urgent? I doubt it. Then we need to be praying, come Holy Spirit. And one of the things we should be asking for is greater boldness, less fear, and greater boldness. I love it that this Peter, who is so bold in Acts chapter 4 before the Sanhedrin, is the very same Peter who denied Jesus three times. What's the difference? The Holy Spirit is making the difference. In fact, in the book of Acts, you see Peter's boldness again and again and again. And quite often, that little phrase is inserted just before he talks, Peter, filled with the Spirit, said. Could that be said of us too? Well, I'm sure it could if we pray for the Holy Spirit. Now, a word of warning here. If you wait for the perfect opportunity to talk about Jesus, perhaps it'll never come. If, if the perfect opportunity for you is one in which there's absolutely no embarrassment, absolutely no risk of rejection, absolutely no resistance to your message. And I would add an absolutely no chance of anyone else overhearing the conversation. You know, if those are the kind of opportunities you're, you're wanting, uh, they're not likely to come. I've only ever seen one opportunity like that. And it, was, uh, it, it, it wasn't in this country, it was abroad. And uh, I was with a group of students and we went 
visiting from one person's house to another and the student knocked on the door and the person who opened it said, what must I do to be saved? Well, I've, I've never ever seen that before. Um, so if you're waiting for that to happen in your house in Clapham or Pimlico or wherever it is, perhaps it won't. But Peter and John were not waiting for the safest opportunity. They took the opportunity that came their way. Filled with the Holy Spirit, they said, it says in verse 8, rulers and elders are for people. And the verdict at the end of what they said was, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. That's the point. When we're bold to speak of Jesus, people will take note that we've been with Jesus. And when they were in such trouble, what did they pray? Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. And at the end of a prayer, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. I love it when I hear examples of people who do this. One of the examples that's sort of etched in my memory it occurred in Cambridge, where one of the students who worshipped at Holy Trinity Church. So he had to be quite a young guy. He'd just graduated, so I'm guessing he's 21 or 22. And because he had graduated with the top first, whatever his subject was, he got the signal honor of carrying the cloak of the Duke of Edinburgh, the late Duke of Edinburgh, in a procession through the town, who was chancellor of the university at that time, through the town, into the Senate House just before the Duke was to preside over the giving out the degrees. Well, I don't think it's letting any secrets out of the bag that the Duke of Edinburgh was quite well known for his rough tongue and curt speech when the spirit blew him in that way. Anyway, something went very wrong with the timings and they went through the town, the procession went very well, they went into the Senate House and my friend Blake, this young guy, is standing there. He's done his duty. He can let go of a cloak or whatever it is. And he and the Duke kind of eyeball one another. And the Duke says to him, they've, they've got a very painful sort of five to ten minutes to fill. So, young man, you're the top scholar of your year. You're the top scholar in the whole of Cambridge. You're evidently an extremely impressive scientist. What are you going to do now? To which young Blake walks into one of the windows and says, if you look out this window, you can see a spire of that church over there. I'm going to be the youth worker in that church over there. And the Duke went apoplectic. What a waste of a life, etc., etc. Well, that's not the point of the story that the Duke went apoplectic. The point of the story is how bold, how bold to bear witness to the importance of Jesus Christ. And when you do that, you make an impression. And it's so important that we do confess our faith. I've noticed talking to lots of people that in the organizations they work for, it makes a huge difference when any member of staff speaks out about their faith. And in any street, it makes a huge difference when people speak out about their faith. And one of the wonderful things it does is it releases other people to come out of the cupboard and to come clean about their faith. Well, I'm going to move on. Suffice to say, with Holy Spirit boldness, our attitude changes from there's never a good time for evangelism 
to there's never a bad time for evangelism. But the second point I want to cover is this. I wonder if you've noticed in the scriptures how often it is that God engineers specific meetings. And it's possible, I'm sure if we pray about this, that you could be a godsend, literally. God could arrange for someone to bump into you, to become your friend, or maybe to have a one-off conversation because he wants you to explain to them the good news about Jesus. I, I wonder, actually, as you read the scriptures, whether it almost looks like sometimes in heaven there's a conversation between the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, where they play consequences. You know, so-and-so met so-and-so, he said to her, she said to him, and the consequence was Jesus and the woman at the well. Now, it can't just have been a coincidence that there he is going through Samaria and he bumps into this woman and has that productive conversation. God arranged it. It was, it was what I would call a divine appointment. And that's not the only time. There are so many of these. Ananias and the Apostle Saul. It's all spelled out for us early on in the book of Acts. There's Saul, blind as a bat, uh, praying on his own, doesn't know what to do. He's had this encounter with Jesus. And there's Ananias, a little disciple man, minding his own business, living his life, and he has a vision. And this is what it says in Acts. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called to him in a vision, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul who's praying. In a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him. It's a divine appointment, isn't it? Or Peter going to Cornelius' house, or Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, or Zacchaeus up a tree when, when Jesus walks by. But in our everyday lives, these things happen too. I'm tempted to tell you a personal story, but I'm going to save it till first priority on Wednesday. So you'll have to come back on Wednesday to hear that one. But I'm going to tell you the story that, as it says in Scripture, always makes my ears tingle. And it, it, it's a absolutely true story I, I was there I bore witness to what was going on and forgive me that it, it comes from my time in Cambridge but as I spent 17 years of my life there I suppose quite a few of these stories inevitably do but we had a number of students who were seconded to our church they were studying to be ordained and one of them was a man called Jerry Field and Jerry was a very nice young guy he's married at this, at this time, that it was preaching, I don't think he had any children, and I was inviting him to speak. And I said, Jerry, would you talk about forgiveness? Doing a little sermon series. Would you talk about forgiveness? And he said, yes, sure. And he gave a very good talk. I, I think it lasted about 25 minutes. And just, just three minutes of his talk, he really didn't overdo it, but just three minutes of his talk, he recounted this story. And, and he said the hardest thing I've ever had to forgive was that my parents were killed in a plane crash in Guatemala. And I was eight years old. And obviously, I've grown up, and that's a major part of my life. And he said, early on in our marriage, we flew, and we went to Guatemala, and we went and we saw the high commissioner, and we wrote in advance to tell him we were coming, and we read through all the details of his plane crash. 
And so he said, I got to discover that the owner of this tiny little Guatemalan airline uh, only owned one plane and his business was in danger of going out of business unless he got this plane from A to B. And although he was warned that the flying conditions were atrocious where they wanted to land, it was a very, very short flight. And he felt that he either did this or his, his whole company would go bust. So he took the risk and he flew the plane and it was disastrous. And the plane crashed and he said, my, my parents were killed. And he said, it, it's taken years, but I have learned to forgive the pilot of a plane who was the owner of the airline. And, and he said this in the context of the whole of his talk. And at the end of the service, he went and stood by the door and was shaking hands with people. And this American came up to him and just looked him in the eyes and said, 17th of January, 1986. And there was an instant connection between the two of them. And Jerry said, how do you know that? And he said, my parents were on that plane too. And this guy was an American. His name was Patrick Sweeney. And he was only in the UK for a few days. He was only in Cambridge to attend the conference on forgiveness. And he had got out of bed that morning with the intention of going to hear the wonderful choir singing at King's College. But as he walked past our little church, he felt a kind of, well, I think I might go in there instead. And that's how he came to be sitting amongst the congregation and to hear Jerry talk. Now, I'm not a statistician or a mathematician, but the odds have to be pretty long, don't they? 93 people dying on a plane crash, 54 of them were Guatemalan. What are the odds of an American being in the same country as Jerry, my friend? What are the odds of them being in the same city? What are the odds of them being in the same church? And what are the odds of them being in the same church on, on the one day of the year that Jerry is talking? And what are the odds of Jerry actually talking about that story or being preaching on forgiveness? I think you'll agree, it's a God appointment. But it's not one of only one that ever happens. These things happen a lot, but they happen a lot more if you pray for them. Are we praying for opportunities to share the good news? Let me encourage you to be praying for them. And, and lastly, my third point this morning, we should pray for encounters with God himself, experiencing God firsthand. And I have to confess, you know, I think there's a reality gap between how I was taught evangelism works and actually the evangelism of the New Testament. When I was trained in evangelism, a huge emphasis was put on explanation exploration and argument. Study the scriptures, we were told. Get all your ducks in a row when it comes to proof texting and arguments. Well, you do need to study the scriptures and we do need to be able to make reasoned arguments. So I'm not trashing that at all. But when you read the scriptures and say, how does God get to work in bringing people into his kingdom? So often it's encounter first 
explanation second. It, it's, that's what happened at Pentecost. People heard them speaking in languages that they had no right to understand. And that they had to ask, what's going on here? That's what happened in Acts chapter 3. The, the beggar at the gate. He was healed and people said, what's all this about? And that is what is increasingly happening with people inquiring about Christ. So many people who do the Alpha course, for example, it's at the Holy Spirit weekend when for a short time of their life they have a window of opportunity just to be still and in complete openness and sincerity just say, God, I need your help in this area. And story comes back, story after story. The Holy Spirit steps in and makes a difference. And it's not that they understand everything about Jesus or everything about salvation or everything about the cross and resurrection. But now, now they know God is for real. And now they want to know what about Jesus, the cross and the resurrection. There is no one straitjacket that will fit all occasions. But all I'm highlighting is we really must not be shy to ask God to come and help. One of the verses God has put on my heart since I've been at St. Michael's again and again and again is a little verse in Luke. God has come to help his people. It's as simple as that. God has come to help his people. And I want to do everything I can to encourage us not to be shy to ask God to come and help his people. And we won't know in advance whether God will heal this person or bring peace to that person or give that person a job or solve that person's financial problems or help that person with their marriage or that one with their depression. We just don't know. But it doesn't mean that we shouldn't ask, God, come and help your people. And I, I've had the privilege now of hearing a lot of stories. And I know amongst our congregation, even amongst our congregation this morning, there are wonderful stories to be told of how God has been faithful in the past. And I want to encourage you to share them don't sit on them. Let's not be shy about talking about the kingdom of God and how God has come to help his people. And so we should pray. We should pray for one another. We should pray for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that our confidence will go up, that God is for real, that we will feel God's presence again, that we won't be frightened to ask him to come and make a difference. You ready? Let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, there's not much point us reading the scriptures if we just take facts away, close the book and say, great, done that. We thank you that you're the same God yesterday, today and forever. And we pray you forgive us for the times where we've marginalized you and sort of put limits on what we even expect you to do. But thank you for reminding us that you're the God of great power and authority. You're the God who sends the Holy Spirit. And we pray that you might come to us, each of us sitting here. I'm going to suggest that we just have a moment of quiet and you could share your heart with God. If there's an area that you need help, where God could come and help you, just pray that he would. Or maybe there's a friend or someone you know who needs God's help. And let's, in, in the silence, be crying out to God, come and make a difference. 
Come and help, Holy Spirit. Father God, we pray like the disciples prayed. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak the word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much.